chapter 12. And uh, we're going to continue our study here through the book of Exodus. Zach, if you want to go ahead and put that PowerPoint up there. We were talking about the Passover, and that's what we did last week. And we kind of had to quit halfway through because there's so much information here and what's going on. Go ahead and go to the next slide, Zach. We'll do some quick review. What we're doing here is on the left, we have the verses that deal with the actual passages in Exodus and what the Passover is. And on the right, we kind of have the New Testament fulfillment. Just a quick review, if you weren't with us last week, Jesus is the Passover. If you're looking at this solely from an Old Testament perspective... This really doesn't make sense. Grab a lamb, keep the lamb, and then what you're going to do in four days is kill the lamb. It's a picture of Jesus. And that's what we're really trying to do here. So go ahead and go to the next one there, Zach. I think it's a slide five. Go to it again. And one more. Yep. This is where we left off. So what we've been talking about the last couple weeks is this. Is this idea of um, what this means and what this represents here. Zach, would you mind turning these lights on? These two right here. Thank you. I could not see. So the spirit is good, but I am not. So Exodus chapter 12 here. And what we kind of left off was what does it mean and what does it represent? And we talked about the blood. The blood that was going to be put at the top and the blood that was going to be put at the sides. So what we have here thus far is very simple. They go get a lamb, and that lamb has to be spotless. The lamb has to be perfect. They bring the lamb in on their house on the 10th, and then on the 14th, you kill the lamb. Then that blood is taken of the lamb, and it's put on the top, and it's put on the bottom. And then God, when he sees the blood on the doorpost, will pass over the house, and therefore there would not be the death of the firstborn in that house. Obviously, you can see the symbolism. The lamb is representative of Jesus. The Bible says he is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. We also understand how it's the blood that saves us. And we went through all these different passages last week of why they had the lamb for four days and Jesus walking on this earth for 33 years and what that represents. We talked about how they had to, in faith, put the blood on the door. We have to, in faith, accept who Jesus Christ is as the sacrifice of our sins. If they chose not to put the blood on the door, they would have died. And this is open to the Egyptians and to the Jews. They just need to respond in faith. Just need to respond in faith. So this is where we left off last week. So they have this lamb. They have now kept this lamb in their house for four days. They have now killed the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. This is what they do now. Verse 8 of Exodus chapter 12. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Now let's talk about this. First one, can you go with me to John 6? John 6. Let's talk about this idea of eating of the lamb. In John 6, what you have here is one of the most straightforward passages of Jesus in the Bible. This idea of eating of Christ. And what this means is it's not some type of cannibalism. It's a symbolism of saying that I want everything that Christ has for me. I want to partake of it all. That's what it means. That's what it represents. So as they eat of the flesh on that night, and what we're going to read in a few passages is that there could be no leftovers. If there's any leftovers, you were supposed to go burn it because nothing is left over because we partake fully of Christ. Look at what Jesus says concerning this. John 6, starting in verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. The one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh 
which I shall give for the life of the world. Then the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. The importance of partaking fully of Christ. Now, that's a really interesting analogy of eating of Jesus. I mean, it really is. In fact, the early church were accused of being cannibals because they constantly talked about eating of Christ. And in communion, they talked about, this is my body eating his flesh, and this is my blood drinking it. Now, we know from looking at the full context of the Bible, this is all a symbolism of Jesus says, fully partaking of me. I mean, imagine this food that you have in front of you that you just can't wait for, and you just want to eat it, you just want to devour it. That should be our passion for Jesus. But to be quite honest with you, a lot of us treat Christ, and we just kind of nibble. We just kind of nibble at it. And we think we're doing okay. It doesn't work that way. There's supposed to be this desire to say, I want everything that Jesus has for me. And when you look at it from that perspective, you understand this idea of eating of it. I want to partake of it. I want to devour the Lord and really want everything that he has in store for me. To be so excited for who Christ is. The other day, uh, Dawn got the food out for the boys. And Layden was so hungry and so excited, he just started eating. And it's like, buddy, we got to pray first. You ever been that where you just wanted to eat so bad you just see it, you want it, you devour it? Can you imagine waking up every morning and saying, Lord, this is a brand new day. Your mercies are new every morning. Today is a day to serve you. Today is a day to love you. I cannot wait to see what you have in store for me today. What an excitement that would be. That's what Christ is saying. Partake of me in all ways. How about the next one? Eat the flesh on the night, roasted in fire. Fire in the Bible is, is always referencing this idea of judgment. Jesus was judged for our sins. Just as the lamb went through the fire for that family, for the Passover, Jesus went through the fire for us. Look at our reference there in 2 Peter 3. Are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Christ was judged for us. He went through the fire. He went through the punishment for us. Think about that. That's something we fully don't get. That's something we fully don't understand. That idea of, of taking the punishment for somebody. I mention Layden a lot in our messages out here. Layden is my fourth son. He is uh, five years old. And the reason I mention Layden so much is because I think he may be demon-possessed. He's an awful kid sometimes. God love him. But in some ways, he has the softest heart of any of the children. It's this fascinating thing. Sometimes he does things, and you look at him, he's like, Layden, why did you just do that, buddy? So it wasn't that long ago. Layden and Kenan, something happened, and, I, and I've shared this with you before. There's tears. You can't figure out what's going on. So I simply say, go, go sit on my bed. That, that's, that's where you go. And I've told you before, you never want me to tell you, go sit on my bed. That is not good. So go sit on my bed. So they go sit on my bed. So I go in there, and I'm trying to figure out who did what? What went happened? You know, we have Layden in tears. We have Kenan in tears. What is going on? So as we're figuring this out, Layden, who in all sincerity says this, before I can even figure it out, he just raises his hand and he goes, Dad, I'll take the discipline. I said, well, did you do something? He goes, I'll take the discipline for Kenan. 
Now, he was sincere. So I let them both off because I thought, what a heart. Now, the problem is he tried that again later on, and that time he didn't get off. But at that point, there was a sincerity of saying, I will take the punishment for Kenan because he truly didn't want to see Kenan get punished. He just didn't. Kenan, our third boy, he's the one that if you just mention him getting in trouble, he can't handle it. He's such a soft heart. He wants to please so bad. So Layden was willing to take the fire. I, I look at this, and I think that we are so desensitized to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. I think we forget what it really means that he took the punishment for us. He took the fire for us. And because right now we're sitting here saying, yeah, I know this, James. Yeah, but do you really realize what that means? He, he is the perfect, spotless lamb. That took the punishment for you. As we mentioned last week, these little lambs are coming to the house on the 10th, living with the family for four days. As we mentioned last week, lambs, the cutest little animals ever. These lambs are going to be loved by the family, to be adopted by the family, to be hand-fed by the family, to four days later have their necks cut open. And that blood of that sinless lamb is now going to save the family. Can you imagine what that would do to children when they saw that happening? But yet our heart does not have that same breaking for Jesus because I believe we are so used to talking about him dying on the cross. It was the lamb that went to the fire for us. Never, ever forget that. And they ate unleavened bread. Unleavened bread. We're not going to get into that tonight. We're going to get into that next week because what happens is you have the Passover happening starting the 14th. Well, starting immediately with that or following that, I should say, is you have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And we'll get into what that means and represents next week. But you have to remember in the Bible that leaven is a picture of sin. Because in cooking and baking, I should say, leaven is a rising agent. It makes things expand. Well, that's what sin does. A tiny bit of sin in your life will just expand and take over. It will. But yet, isn't it fascinating? We know that point. We still think we can control sin. We still think that we can build little barriers and walls in our spiritual life and not let that sin get out of hand. How many examples do we need to read in the Bible of sin expanding and getting out of hand before we realize it can happen to us? I mean, David, I mean, okay, yeah, the whole laziness, then adultery, covering it up, murder, etc. That's an extreme case. The sin of Achan, he, he stole it, then he hid it, then his family's destroyed. That's an extreme case. What about Hagar going in with Abraham and then having the child? Well, that's an extreme. And the problem is we look at all these things as extreme cases. Here's the truth. That same sin that affected them can affect us today. There's still pride. There's still lust. There's still envy. It's still there. It affects us. But yet we don't understand how quickly sin can expand in our lives. And we are so used to sin in our lives. We need to understand what this unleavened means. And I'm getting myself ahead of myself, I should say, a little bit. Because God is going to tell them in a little bit, get rid of all the leaven in your house. It's a picture of going through your spiritual house and fasting and prayer and saying, Lord, is there any sin in me? Think of what Psalm 139 says. Lord, search me, try me. Is there any sin in me? Get rid of it. That's why it's unleavened. And lastly, with bitter herbs, if you've ever partaken of a uh, Passover meal, and we did one at church a few years ago, etc., bitter herbs does not describe it good enough. It tastes awful. <laughs> awful. 
I, I grew up with, the, with on a farm. We had lambs. I had a lot of lamb growing up as a kid. Lamb tastes good. I like lamb. You put the bitter herbs on it, you just ruined it for me. See, but that's a picture of Christ on the cross. Those bitter herbs, I put down the reference of Isaiah 53. And Isaiah 53, it's the passage of where it says Jesus was marred more than any other man. Is the passage where it says that it pleased God to bruise him. Those are the bitter herbs that Jesus went through. That beating, that pain, that torture for us. So as you read this, we eat of Christ, we partake of it. The fire represents judgment that he took for us. Unleavened, getting the sin out, which we'll get to next week as we do the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then the bitter herbs, that bitterness that Christ went through for us and his death on the cross. Let's go to the next one, please, Zach. As we're going here in Exodus chapter 12. So as they're doing this, jump back here to Exodus 12. Look at uh, verse 10. It says, You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, the completeness of Christ's sacrifice, verse 11. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So shall you eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That idea of having your staff in your hand and your sandals on your feet. They were getting ready to go. This plague, and if you haven't been with us the last few weeks as we've been going through Exodus, building up on these plagues, we've been talking about how these plagues were God's judgment on Egypt, God's judgment on the supposed gods of Egypt with the little g. They've gone through this. It started out with annoyances. Blood into water into blood. Flies, frogs. Then it started becoming boils and destruction of territory and darkness. This, this is This is it. Egypt's going to kick them out. God is saying, be prepared to go. I think there's a spiritual analogy for us today living here. You know, what we believe and we teach is the next event to happen is the rapture of the church. Just ask yourself honestly, are you ready to go? I mean, if Jesus said, right now, are you ready to go? See, I think a lot of times as Christians, we believe that, we teach that, we say that. But there's a part of us that gets really planted on this world. And we forget these passages. You know, these are really fresh in my mind because we just did these at the small group study. 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, the Bible says we're pilgrims. 1 Peter 2.11 says we're sojourners and pilgrims. Philippians 3 is reminding us, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not our home. So since this is not my home, when Jesus says it's time to go, Let's get out of here. The problem is, as believers, we know this, we, we believe this, but yet there's still part of us that clings to this. I think as a church, and I mean the body of Christ, we have lost this urgency of we're going, we're, we're going to be out of here sometime. That's why with the Passover, God is telling them, eat like you're ready to leave. So as a church, we need to live like we're ready to leave. Now, that doesn't mean you uh, get a bunch of credit card debt. doesn't mean that you don't have to pay your house mortgage. It doesn't mean that you don't have to show up at work tomorrow. Jesus did say, occupy till I come. 
But there's a mental aspect of everything you go through in life where you say, this is it. I, I may not see you again. This may be the last time we come together as a body of Christ. I may die before I see you again. You may die. The rapture may happen. Now, that's not some type of threat. That's not some type of weird, dark thought. It's, it's a fact. I am just a pilgrim on this earth. I'm just a soldier. I'm just passing through. One translation says, I'm just an alien. So, my citizenship is in heaven. I need to remember that. And when the world starts getting overwhelmed, and I start thinking about events that are weeks, months, maybe years in the future, I try to remind myself, you saying, you know what, Jesus may return before that. Why am I even worried about that? This is not my home. The problem is, if you think this is your home, you're going to be walking in weary, worry, fear, and anxiety. But when you have this mindset of, Lord, you're going to take me out of here, all of a sudden, boy, Lord, it just doesn't matter as much anymore. Now, let's just stop real quick. So, maybe quick questions, comments here about anything before we move on with anything else here. Okay. Let's go to the next one. That verse 13, the blood. Now the blood shall be a sign for you in the houses where you are. That blood, the precious blood of Jesus. Romans 5, 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Once again, ever since I got saved, I've always been taught and taught about the blood of Jesus. Every time we partake of communion, this is symbolic of the blood. I sing songs about the blood. Have I forgotten what the blood really means and represents? That blood of that lamb saved them from death. Back in Exodus. It's the blood of the lamb of Jesus that saves us now. Never forget that. The longer I walk with the Lord and the more I teach the Bible, the more I realize everything goes back to the cross in which Christ died upon. Because that's all that matters. Just, just think about this. Think about the things that you got worked up this week with. Maybe you had a little spit with your spouse about something. Maybe you got worked up about a situation at work. Maybe there was a bill that really started to bother you. Maybe it's a financial thing. Maybe it's a health issue. All those things pale in comparison to what Christ went through on the cross. And when you have that mindset, the only thing that matters is the blood. Kenan... I was going through devotions with them today, and I'm having him read Philippians 4.4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He always, he'll come up and ask for something. And if we say no, he'll look at you with the sweetest face and say, okay, as the tears well up. Kenan, are you okay? I'm fine. Tears. Kenan, you don't look okay. I'm fine. Tears. So I pulled him aside today, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Trying to teach him joy in life. Because what Kenan does when he comes up and he's in tears like that, first thing I say to him, did somebody die and go to hell? And he'll say no. Then I say, why are we crying then? Because I'm trying to teach him there's a bigger picture going on. My point is this. God love you guys. God love me. There's times that we get ourselves too focused on a situation on this earth. Did someone die and go to hell? Well, well, no. Well, then why are you worked up about it? It's the blood of Jesus, all that matters. We know this. We believe this. We hear this. But we really got to understand this. Because when you really understand this, it changes the way you think. It changes the way you live. It changes the way you act. 
Because all that matters are people saved or not saved. And when you have that mindset, that's all that matters. I mean, jump back to when this plague of the death of the firstborn happened. All that matters was, was there the blood of a lamb on your door? Okay, then get in the house and stay in the house. That's what matters. What matters today? Are you covered in the blood of Jesus? Okay, yeah. Well, then get in the house and stay in the house. Abide in him and it will be okay. Okay, yeah, but what happens about the stuff that's going outside my house? Don't worry about what's going on outside the house. You stay in the house where you're covered in the blood. That's what God is trying to teach us. But too often as believers, we're, we're, we stick our heads outside the house. Because they want to see what's going on. No, stay where the Lord has called you. Stay in the blood. Can you go to the next slide there, Zach? We're going to jump ahead now, if you will, to uh, verse 43. Exodus 43. Because we have a few other regulations concerning the Passover. But before we get to verse 43 of uh, Exodus 12, anybody got any quick questions, comments about the Passover itself? Because that is the Passover itself. Get the sinless lamb. Get it on the 10th. Take care of it for four days. Then you kill it. You roast it in fire. None of its bones are broken. Um, you make sure all of it is devoured or taken care of or burned. You put the blood on the doorpost, etc. And how that all represents Jesus. That's the Passover aspect of it. Any quick questions, comments on that? Ryan. Well, if you're talking about nowadays, today? I mean, like, years since. And years since. Well, that was still something they were asked to do. If you go and look at the Passover regulations that happens in the book of uh, Leviticus and Deuteronomy, they start changing some of those aspects of it, yes. So, but nowadays, today, if you're going to celebrate the Passover, not that we have to, if we, uh, but the Jews know, do not go get a lamb and keep it for four days. They don't do that type of stuff. But you can look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy. They did change some of the aspects of it. Yeah, it's kind of like the way the tabernacle was when the tabernacle became the temple. It's the same idea, it's the same mindset, but the Lord has kind of changed some of that as, as time went on with it. Anybody else got anything here about the actual Passover itself? Okay. Now, it's not that we're skipping these other verses, but these other verses deal with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We'll get to that next week to make sure we get it in its entirety. I want to get to verse 43. And it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner and a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, nor shall you break one of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as native to the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One law shall be for the native-born and for the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. So, here's a few details of this, and I like this. First one that we have here, about having a stranger dwelling with you, and they could partake of it. They just had to be circumcised. See, so often when we look at the Old Testament, we look at this idea of the separation of Jew and Gentile, which was completely true. There was a separation. But when it came to the Passover, God says the Gentiles can partake of this. The foreigners can partake of this. They just need to get circumcised because the circumcision was a visible representation of them making a devotion to the Lord. Look at Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to who? 
all men. All men. Just like Jesus has died for everybody today, Passover, it was open to everybody. It was. You just had to have a heart to do it. If you were a sojourner just passing through, and you're like, oh, hey, this looks good, roasted lamb. Can I partake of it? Sure, come over and join us. No. You don't have a heart for it. You don't understand it. You're not devoted to it. Well, what do I have to do to be devoted? What do I have to do to partake of your Passover? Well, do you understand what circumcision is? Right there, separate the men from the boys. Because if you're serious, you're serious. If you're not, I'll skip the meal and I'll catch you later. So that's why the Lord is saying the circumcision. It's not a work that saves you, but it was something where somebody would stop and understand and say, I understand what this represents. I understand what this means. I'm going to go through this because I am devoted to the Lord. And so therefore, it's open to anybody. Open to anybody. Next one, nor shall you break any of its bones. We mentioned this real quick, two prophecies. Psalm 22, verse 17, there's a prophecy that none of Jesus' bones would be broken. We're running out of time, so we won't go to John 19. But in John 19, you know the story of Christ on the cross, where they were going to go break his legs to speed up the death process, and they went there and none of his bones were broken. Exodus 12, 49, one law shall be for the native born and for the stranger who dwells among you. One law. What about Jesus? John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One way, Christ. So God did not have one set of rules for the strangers or the foreigners and one set of rules for the Jews. He says, nope, guys, one set of rules, one law for all of you concerning this, making sure you understand what this means and what this represents. What a beautiful picture that is. Can you go to the next slide there? So that's the last one of them then. What we have here, and I like this in verses 43 through 51. I look at 43 through 51, and I see a whole lot of grace. I see a whole lot of grace. Because what happens here is we get to the study in the next couple weeks, you're going to see that there was a mixed multitude. We'll just look at it real quick. Jump up to verse 38 of Exodus 12. A mixed multitude went up with them also, and flocks and herds, a great deal of livestock. There's Egyptians that went with them. See, we started reading as we went through the different plagues. As time went on, some of the Egyptians started changing their mindset about God, and they started obeying what the Lord was telling them to do. This was a witnessing tool. So the Lord has opened this up. So when I read these Passover regulations, I see a God that says, you know what, my doors are open to anybody. Because there's one way to get in, and that one way is Jesus Christ. Back then, what one way was be willing to show your hearts devoted to Jehovah by circumcision. But the one way is still today. See, here's the deal. If you claim to be a Christian, Christian means follower of Christ. So if you claim to be a follower of Christ, think about what you're saying. For simple math, let's say there's 5 billion people in the world. Let's be really optimistic and say that 20% are saved, 1 billion. So when you say that you're a Christian... You are coming right out and saying that you believe that 4 billion people are not saved. What are we really saying? We believe those 4 billion people are going to go to hell. That's a pretty big statement. See, when I say I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm saying the only way to get to heaven is through Jesus. The only way. Just like there was one law for the Passover, there's one way in Christ. I'll share this last story with you, and then we've got to close up here so we have some time for prayer. I remember watching a program years ago, and it was one of those talking heads programs where they had the, the, mon- the moderator 
And they had four different people. And the four different people represent the four different viewpoints. And it was the one token Christian. Now, generally speaking, anytime I see one of those shows where they have the one token Christian, I hear that one token Christian, I'm thinking, this guy's not a Christian. It's not. This guy, though, and I really wish I could remember his name. This guy was solid. Solid. And I remember him saying that the only way to get to heaven was Jesus. That Jesus was the only way. And I remember the other people on the panel saying, you're saying that, you know, that the Muslims are wrong and the Hindus are wrong and all this other type of stuff. And he said... I believe the only way to get to heaven is Jesus. And he says, I believe that he is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by him. Everybody got upset. The moderator looked at him and said, I don't think Jesus would like you saying that. I started thinking about that. That's the way the world looks at Jesus. The world looks at Jesus as now being, well, Jesus would want everybody. Jesus was want everybody. He wants everybody to go through him. That's the simplicity of Christ. I love that passage in Corinthians where it talks about the simplicity of Jesus. Hey, Jews, you want to be saved during the Passover? Well, keep it simple. Get one lamb, do this, kill the lamb, blood, cook the lamb this way, you'll be fine. One way. Hey, world today, you want to be saved? Simple. There's one road. That road is Jesus. Take the path. Simple. And I love the simplicity of Christ. And just as the Passover could be open to anybody, so can Jesus be open to anybody. And what a beautiful picture that is and what a great thing just to dwell on. But the thing is, you have to make it personal. What I want to close with is this. At the beginning of Exodus 12, when it's referring to the lamb, it tells you to take a lamb. Then it talks about the lamb. But then in verse 5, it says, your lamb. It becomes personal. See, you would go pick out a lamb. Then you would bring the lamb home to your family. But then you have to kill your lamb. And it became very personal. And I wonder how many of us have this distant relationship with Jesus. He is a lamb. He is the lamb. But is Jesus your lamb? You have to make it personal. And that's what the Passover did. The Passover made this extremely personal. If you were a leader of your house back during this time, it was very personal. You took that lamb, you kept that lamb in your house, you killed that lamb. That blood of that lamb saved you. You saw firsthand what it meant to really understand Jesus as the Passover lamb. We are so removed from that, I think we've become desensitized to that. Boy, Lord, help us to really understand what it means that Christ is our Passover lamb. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we go ahead and close up with a word of prayer? All right, let's pray then. Heavenly Father, just good to be here this evening. And Lord, I pray that we would move mentally.